So we are continuing the series of Mark. If, if you came in late, I'm Tony. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, you might be wondering how we could be continuing in Mark when Drew preached uh, the resurrection, chapter 16, the, you know, the final chapter last Sunday. But we're going back to chapter 13 uh, today. And so there's references here to Jesus' second coming. And so we thought it might be appropriate to end not with just his resurrection, but with his second coming. And so for me, this is particularly exciting. Uh, every, I guess, job I've had, I've had certain goals or dreams that I've always wanted. When I was an accountant and an auditor, I was always hoping that I could find some fraud and bust some fraud. I thought that would be fun. Never happened, but uh, that was my hope. When I was a missionary, I always thought it would be cool to have a showdown with a witch doctor, you know, kind of like Elijah and Mike Carmel with like fire coming down from heaven. Uh, that didn't happen either. So now that I'm back as a pastor, my, my big goal is to be preaching on Jesus' second coming, and then he comes, right? So I thought that would be the ultimate sermon illustration, go down in history as the best sermon ever. Uh, so, so we'll see. I've got two services, so, uh, so we'll see what happens. But we're in chapter 13. You may want to pull out uh, the Pew Bible or your Bible if you have it to look at the chapter. We're going to um, not read the whole thing. We're going to be reading parts of it. And there's at least one passage I'm going to, verse I'm going to reference that I, I didn't send to Joe to put in the worship folder because I hadn't figured that part out yet. And so, so you may just want to have that available to look at. It's kind of a um, confusing and interesting text. So it's Mark chapter 13. It's also be on our worship folder. It's in our worship folder and it'll be on the screen behind me. And as he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these, things, all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. And then in verse 14, But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains." But in those days, after the, that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And when they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. And then verse 32, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. This is God's word. Please say this with, us, with me. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the words of our God stands forever. 
So when I was a little kid, a little Tonito, uh, I had this dish that my mom used to cook. She was Cuban. She used to cook this dish, arroz con pollo, which is uh, rice and chicken. And I used to really like it. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty simple, arroz con pollo. But there's actually other things in it as well, right? So there's the rice, there's the chicken, there's some peas and some onions and some other stuff. I don't know what. It was just good. But uh, Cuban moms don't really teach their sons to cook or to clean, much to Amber's chagrin when we got married. But, uh, you know, I'm not a member of the patriarchy. I just benefited from it. So, but it was, it was great. It was this, this big mixture. And uh, when Mark was writing this passage, I, I think he was channeling his Cuban side uh, because he gets all these different things and he mixes them together. And, and that's kind of what, what makes it difficult to understand. All these different pieces are together. And so to understand it, uh, we've got to kind of go into all the pieces and separate them out. And so that's, that's what we're going to try to do is to kind of look at what are the different aspects. We're going to try to separate it out like a celebrity who demands that his M&Ms be color coordinated. So we're going to jump right into that. So the first thing that makes this difficult is that Mark is summarizing. So in the other passages, other Gospels that include this same passage, they're longer. This is a pretty long passage for Mark, but it's still summarized. And he, he mixes certain things together. So when Matthew records this conversation with the disciples, uh, the disciples ask this question. They say, tell us, when will these things be? And what would be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so in that question, you see a little bit more detail of what they're really asking. They're asking, when is this going to happen, the prophecy about the destruction of the temple? But they're also seeing it as the end of times. When's the end of times going to come? And so, so Mark just kind of puts all of those things together. And then you also have in the mixture the disciples and what their assumptions were going into this, right? So, so they didn't have any idea about the size of the world. They didn't have any idea about... Uh, about what it would take for the gospel to go to all the nations and bring people to him. They didn't know a lot of things. And so they, they assumed that the destruction of the temple and Jesus' coming were going to be you know, at the same time. But spoiler alert, they weren't, right? Because the temple's destroyed and Jesus isn't back yet. So, so they were, that was all mixed in there together. And then you, you add on to that, that there's this prophetic language that Jesus is using in here. And then some of it is even the subgenre of prophecy, which is apocalyptic literature like Revelation. And so all of that kind of gets all mixed together, and it gets very confusing, very difficult. All of the commentaries I looked at just started off by saying, like, this is one of the hardest passages. And so it's fun that I get to do it. And it's fun because if Jesus comes back during this sermon, it's going to be the best sermon you ever heard. So, so we'll see. But we're going to be looking at some of the individual parts to it. So first we can look at verse 14. So Jesus first starts by um, telling them about general things that are going to be kind of looking, happening, people coming in his name, wars and rumors of wars. But then he says in verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Uh, so, what is he talking about here? Well, it can be confusing, but he's referencing a prophecy from the book of Daniel. 
And what happened in kind of Jewish history, right, was that first the, the Jews come into the promised land, and eventually they're ruled by judges, then they have kings, and then they have a series of, of um, good kings. They have David and Solomon, and then Solomon has a son, Rehoboam. Rehoboam was a punk, and so the the, the uh, kingdom splits in two. The northern kingdom gets taken away by the Assyrians. And then the southern kingdom that had the temple in it, they get taken away by the Babylonians. Babylonians destroy the temple. Eventually, they come back. They rebuild the temple. You can read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah. And then Andrew, or Alexander the Great comes through, and he takes over, and they sacrifice a pig on the altar. They do some horrible things. There's a revolt. The Israelites have a period of uh, independence until the Romans come in. And so, so this referencing the abomination of desolation, uh, most people believe was initially in Daniel speaking of what the Greeks did when they came into the temple and they did this sacrilegious sacrifice on the temple. And so it, it kind of images this idea of these pagan armies coming in and destroying the temple. And that's, that's kind of what that is referring to. And then we go to the next part, starting in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So, again, just a real simple, straightforward passage, right? Uh, so this can seem as if, because it talks about the Son of Man coming in the clouds, could seem like it's the passage that's referencing Jesus' second coming. But the, the words used around this and the way that this is structured and the details of it is, is really pretty common language when prophets talk about the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is not typically a happy fun day. It's God coming in his judgment. And so what it's saying is God is going to come. They're going to see the judgment of God coming down on them. And then kind of added to that, and this is not in your worship folder, verse 30. And Jesus says to speak, and he said, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So there's, there's a time stamp. There's, there's a, a time in which this is going to happen. And what's that time frame? It's going to be during this generation. So people who are hearing Jesus speak are going to see all of these things happen. So how do we make sense of it? It can be difficult. Uh, but luckily, at this time, we're, we're aided by church history. We kind of see how things unfolded after Jesus died and was resurrected. And we can see how the early church understood this passage. Because here's what happened. Um, Jesus died around A.D. 30, A.D. 33, and then later on, A.D. 70. So within that generation, the Roman army came in. There was a revolt against Rome. And the Roman army was coming in. And they were coming and Eventually, they destroyed Jerusalem. They surrounded it. There was a horrible famine in the city. There was just all these terrors. In fact, uh, one of the Jewish historians talks about visions in the sky and all these type of things as this destruction came down upon them. But the Christians weren't there. And they weren't there because 
They remember the words of Jesus and the prophecy of Jesus. And so there's this thing in history called the flight to Pella. And so the Christians, when they saw that the Romans were coming, they fled and they went to Pella and they survived. And as Jesus is talking and as he's giving them this, he's giving them this warning. He's telling them this is going to happen, so stay awake and flee from this destruction that's coming. Because even though there's, there's the wrath and there's the judgment of God, there's this mercy of God as well. And he's wanting them to be saved. The invitation was open to anybody. Anybody could have fled with the Christians. A lot of those Christians who fled weren't, weren't just the disciples who were here. There were people who got converted, who might have even had a role in the crowd chanting about Jesus. It could have been anybody was invited to flee the judgment that was coming. But it wasn't an easy decision for the disciples, I'm sure, because they were Jewish. They loved their country. They loved their people. They had to, to leave their family behind. They had to leave their, their tribe behind. They had to leave their, their, their country, the temple of God. I mean, they, they all had this hope that because God was in the temple that Perhaps when the Romans would come, God would do something amazing and defeat the Romans, that this would be a big deal, that this would be one of those big miracles that you read about in the Old Testament. And so the Christians had to make this tough decision. Do we stay and do we stay and become a part of that? Or do we listen to Jesus and we flee? And so if Jesus tells you to flee, the right decision is, is to do that, is to flee and is to run. And so that's what they did. It was open to everybody. They had to make a difficult decision, but they did, and they fleet, fled. And then that kind of entered in this, this new period where people are coming to faith from all over the world. This is kind of what he was talking about um, in verse 27 when he says, He will send the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, so from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. So this is, this is what's happening right now. Gospel is going forth to all the world. We're all the world, right? We're not the center of things. So the gospel came here and is bringing us to him. And so that's what we're see, seeing is happening. Jesus tells them they had to make a dis- difficult decision, and so they, they did that. So the army came, destroyed the temple, and then we move on to the second warning that Jesus gives, which is in verse 32. So he was telling them the first warning was to flee uh, Jerusalem. This is the second one as we're, as we're unraveling this mixture. It says this, But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you all, uh, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And so here Jesus is, is shifting his focus. So in the other topic, when he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, there's this, there's this time frame, this generation. And so now as he's talking about his second coming, he says, no one knows the day or the hour. And he says, even I don't know. And that has to do with um, him limiting some of his knowledge when he was in human form. But this is what he's saying, that, that nobody knows this time because it's the second coming. But he says, stay awake. Pay attention. Because when he comes, 
there's going to be this second judgment. There's the first judgment being the destruction of Jerusalem, but there's going to be this other judgment that's coming, and that's going to be coming for everybody. It talks about that in Revelation chapter 19, when Jesus comes and there's a final judgment, and it talks about there being two books. And the first book is the book of deeds. It's a book of everything you've done in your life. And it says that Jesus looks in the book and he judges people based on their deeds and everyone is found guilty. That our sins condemn us. Our sins are crimes. And so, so we have to make payment for our crimes. There has to be justice done for that. But in his mercy, there's another book. And that's the book of life. And so what we're saved by is not our deeds, doing more good deeds than bad deeds. It's the book of life. What, you know, if our name is written in that, that's what saves us. So now we have to talk a little bit about God's judgment, which is also another fun, fun light topic. So as we talk about it, I think that the best way to kind of illustrate this is by telling you about my friend Wilfredo. So Wilfredo, uh, as many of you know, we were missionaries in Nicaragua and then in Panama. And so I met Wilfredo in Nicaragua. He was a friend of a friend. He was a believer, and he was doing a lot of evangelistic work uh, at his job. And so we started training him, because that was our work in Nicaragua, was training pastors and church leaders. And so he was part of that training. Then there was this revolution that happened in Nicaragua, so a lot of people fled. And, and we ended up not going back, but moving to Panama. Well, Wilfredo and his family, they moved to Panama City just a few months before we did. So when we got there and we got settled, we, we connected with them, and we started helping them out. So we started doing the training again with him. Him and his wife and his kids would do an outreach to children in their neighborhood, so we, we gave him some money to help him, help him do that. We would meet with them regularly, uh, and, and we, we, we were close. We, we, we loved them, and we were trying to help them out. At one point during the COVID lockdown, their kids got really sick. They didn't have money for, for medicine or a thermometer, so we, we ordered it online for them, and we, we had it delivered to their house. So eventually, the COVID restrictions get lifted. And we decided we wanted a break. We wanted to come back to the United States. This was early 2021. We want to come back to the United States and just get a little bit of a breather. And, but we needed somebody to, to watch our house and our dog while we were away. So we thought, oh, this will be great. Wilfredo works within walking distance of our apartment, but he lives about an hour away. So we could ask them to come, stay in our apartment. It's a nicer apartment than what they have. They can watch our dog. We'll give them some extra money for doing it. They'll be closer to work. It's going to be a win-win. This is going to be great. And then we came to the United States, and we quickly found out it was not so great. So we got an email from the landlord that there was some weird complaints about the apartment, about uh, the way they were treating the elevator, going swimming but not drying off, and so they're tracking a lot of water into the elevator. Uh, their kids were running wild in the common area, in the, in the lobby, and there's glass in there. And so we thought, okay, well, this is kind of weird. And then we get a phone call from them, a video call from them uh, on WhatsApp, and our apartment's flooded. So uh, apparently they had left a faucet on, and so that flooded the entire apartment, kind of like the wet bandits in Home Alone. And so they're in there, like, frantically trying to scoop water up. The water went through our door into a landing and flooded our neighbor's apartment as well. 
by the mercy of God, it didn't go down the elevator shaft because that would have been tens of thousands of dollars. But we're over here in the United States, stressed out, trying to figure out what's going on, and they're over here shoveling water uh, in our apartment. So I thought, oh, all right, well, we're just going to trust God. Accidents happen, you know. What are you going to do? And so then it gets to the point where we're about to go back to Panama, and um, we're going to be getting there late at night. So I, I text him, and I say, hey, just, you know, just so you know we're coming in late, so just leave. You can lock the door. We have a key. You know, just keep the dog in his little area, and, uh, you know, we'll connect with you, you know, later once we get settled. And so he texts me back. and says, hey, we, we need to talk. And so we have this video conference, and uh, he says, listen, you know, I, um, I need to apologize. You don't have to pay me if you don't want to, but there's some things that are broken in your apartment. And we said, okay, well, what's, a, what's broken? And he said, well, some cups. I said, oh, okay, well, you know, they have little boys, some cups, no problem. Some, some pots, too, like some pots for plants. Some of those also were broken. I said, oh, okay, okay, no big deal. Uh, the printer. The printer's broken. That's, that's a little weirder, but, but okay. Uh, and the TV. The TV is also broken. Uh, one of our kids ran into it. So we said, all right, well, you know, at that point we were thinking about leaving Panama anyways. We weren't sure what we would take with us. So I said, you know, listen, Wilfredo, this was my good Christian moment followed by my bad Christian moment later. But Hey, you know, these things happen. We love you more than these things. I'm sure everything else is fine and great. You know, as long as the things that we kept in our little special area, as long as those things are safe, I mean, that's, that's all we really care about. And uh, so, we, so don't worry about it. We'll still pay you. So, so we get home. Uh, we open the door. And the first thing that hit us was the smell. And it was like this strong grease plus some sort of spice smell. I don't know what they were cooking. It wasn't my mom's arroz con pollo, I can tell you that. And it just hits you, and it was just overpowering. So you come in, you're like, wow, all right. And we look around the apartment, and it's a mess. So our, our furniture has food, like, caked in on it. Like, they could have just scraped it off, but they didn't. So it was all caked into the furniture, um, the, one of the doors, one of the doors was broken, so he, like, it must have been locked, and so he jumped into it to, to, you know, open it. So that was broken, and that was open. In the kitchen, things were a mess. There was, like, an Instapot, which, you know, was in our special area, but somehow he had opened the Instapot, which is not super simple, and took out the pot, and then it looks like, I don't know what actually happened, it looks like he used that pot on an open campfire somewhere, because of the char around the Instapot and the stuff just cooked into it. And so, I mean, we had other pots for the stove or for open fires, but no, he used that one. And so there was, there was towels that were mysteriously all bleached. There was just things were just a mess. Our kids' rooms, they were devastated because all their stuff was, was broken and, and missing. So Nicolette, our youngest, we, you know, she was in elementary school at the time. We had bought her some Christmas presents. We had kept them in the closet nobody was supposed to go to. One of those things was broken. The other one was stolen. We still haven't found it. And so, so every, all the kids, they're, like, they're upset. And I remember, like, laying down in my bed, just trying to, like, absorb all of this. And I roll onto my side, and on the wall, there's, like, a splatter of something 
black. And at first, I think it's just like a splatter. And then I noticed that there's like a triangle. Somebody had, had made some dots into a triangle. And I hope, I hoped it was just like oatmeal that turned black. But I don't know. So I had to like, I can't sleep. I had to clean off my walls. It was thousands of dollars of damage. And I was angry. Do you think I was right to be angry? I mean, all we'd ever done was been kind and good to Wilfredo and his family, and then he leaves our house in that mess. I think I was right to be angry. My kids were upset. And as somebody asked, what about the dog? I didn't even tell you about the dog yet. So our dog is named Knox. He's a cute dog. He's an Australian Labradoodle, the official dog of Redeemer Church, right? And he's, he's nice. He's gentle. He loves people. I mean, he's a good dog. Uh, he loves most people. And, uh, but he's a good dog. And so, so when we had the phone call with him, we were away for three months. That's what you need to know. Three months. By that point, he should have really connected with his family, right? I mean, that's what you would expect. So three months later, we, we're on the phone call about the stuff, and we're like, well, what we really care about is the dog anyways. So where's the dog? Let's see the dog. Well, well, Fredo was in our living room, and the dog was over in the dining room over here. I thought, that's weird. Why is he so far away from Wilfredo after three months? And so then Wilfredo goes, walks over to show us, to show us the video of the dog, and when the dog sees Wilfredo coming, he, he tucks his tail between his legs and skulks away. I thought, I don't know what this guy did to my dog, but that's weird. Now, when we got there, he seemed fed, didn't show any physical signs of abuse, but it's really weird that he skulked away, right? And that's the dog. And what if, what if it was your dog? What if it was your house? How would you feel? How would you feel if you knew, if you knew that there was abuse? If you came in and the dog was emaciated and hadn't eaten, how would you feel at that point? And you knew that he had done it. How would you feel if... We, we, this happened to one missionary with another American staying there where they, they got rid of the dog. They just got rid of it. They were staying there. They got rid of it. How would you feel that was you? You got rid of your dog. What if, what if I had came home and I had found evidence that he had killed my dog? How would you expect me to feel? What would you expect me to do? Just be like, eh, it happens. I mean, if that happened, you, and I did nothing, and I had evidence, and I did nothing, and I didn't try to call the police, I didn't try to bring justice in the, in the matter, I didn't try to do anything, you would think, well, Fredo's a monster, and Tony's a monster. And if we get that upset about dogs and homes, then isn't God right to be angry about his son? who is innocent, and who is serving us. God, who just, who just gives us good things, who gives us breath and life. And we wrong him, and we sin, and we, we think about our book of deeds, and how big that is, and how horrible that would be. Isn't God right 
to want to bring justice in those situations? I think so. But here's where we're going to talk about God's mercy. Because that's even better than his, his justice. Imagine if this was my response to Wilfredo. Imagine if I then went and I purchased the condo from, from the landlord. I made all the repairs out of pocket. I brought all new clean furniture. You know, maybe I even bought him a car. And I take all of that and I go to Wilfredo and I look him in the eyes and I say, what you did to me was wrong, but because I love you, I'm giving this to you. That's the amazing, offensive, shocking love that God has towards us. That's the mercy he shows to us. And he invites all of us into it. When Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he went to the cross and he took the punishment for us. Justice was done for our sins to Jesus. He, he took that on himself, rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin, and then he invites us to repent of our sins and to put our hope in him. So maybe... Today, you're, you think about the book of the deeds that you've done, the book of your actions, of, of what God's judgment would be, and you feel shame and guilt. Maybe those aren't words that you would typically use. Maybe you just feel, feel dirty and you're not sure why, and there's things in your past or things in your present that you're ashamed of, and you think, man, there's no way that God could love me or accept me. Maybe you thought it was even just rough for you to, to walk into church today, but here's the deal. The amazing love and mercy of Christ is that even though you have all those deeds, there's another book, and that's the book of life, and you're invited to participate in that. And so we're going to, I'm going to pray in a minute, and then we're going to sing. And when we do, if you've never given your, your life to Christ, and invite you to do that during that song, just in your chair, whatever, to pray out, ask him to forgive you, give your heart to him. You know, when Jesus tells you to flee the destruction of Jerusalem, the wise move is to flee the destruction of Jerusalem. When he tells you to stay awake and, and flee the second coming, the judgment there, then it's a good move to do that as well. And ask him to, to forgive you of your sins, make peace with him. And of course, most of us here have been saved and are forgiven and are believers. And this next song that we're going to sing is called Gratitude. So as we sing that song, why not sing with the mind of the reality of God's amazing mercy that he has for us. That we were saved from justice we deserved by his blood. And that is really amazing. His love for us is greater than any sin we can commit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that even though the case against us is long, detailed, 
would be horribly embarrassing if it was read aloud here. Lord, we thank you that you have taken all that. By your blood, you washed it away. We thank you that we can now have peace and relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope that you're able to come back and have lunch with us today. Uh, Would you please stand for the benediction? And the benediction says this. It says that when you are in Christ, you are completely loved and accepted. You are adopted into his family as his child. And when the Lord thinks about you, it's with a smile on his face and a joy in his heart. Adopted child of God, receive your benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.